Good morning. Happy Advent. Thank you. So let me say something really obvious. Relationships matter. They matter deeply. And we know this, and we have lots of ways that we remind ourselves of this. Some of them utilitarian. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Right? It's not who you are, it's whose you are. Um, it's the season of Hallmark movies. Has anybody watched a Hallmark Christmas movie yet? One of those feel good. Almost all of them center around the same thing. Relationships matter. They'll show you a story of you know, someone too caught up in their work or too caught up in their possessions or too caught up in the stress of the season and they forget about the people in their life. And you watch the movie progress and by the end they've been reminded about what really matters. Right, which is the people that are all around them. And we know these things, but it's so easy to forget. I can watch 100 Hallmark movies and still be so caught up in being efficient and getting things done that I don't pay enough attention to the people around me. Like me, really, I, I do this. I, I, Christina catches me. I was going to say I catch myself, but that's not fair. Christina catches me, and she'll say things like, can you just leave all of that? and come sit with me. And I wish I could say whenever she says that, I'm like, oh, of course, relationships matter. But more often than not, it's like, no, I can't. <laughs> Let me finish first, please. Um, and it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget in the busyness of life. It's easy to forget in the world we live in, even at Christmas. I don't know if you know this or not. Today, December 1st, it's not always December 1st, but the Sunday that is the first day of Advent is the first day of the Christian year. So happy new year. <laughs> and if you think about it, I, I think it's very telling that if you look at our normal new year and you look at January 1st, what do we make that day about? Um, it's about making resolutions. It's about deciding how you're going to fix yourself and you're going to do better, right? As if any of us can really do that. Um, and then you look at the first day of the Christian new year and it's about the coming of our Lord. It's about making ready a place in our hearts and in our homes and in our relationships for the one relationship that matters above all else, the one we have with God. And, and I, th I think that's very telling that you've got kind of a, a modern new year, which is about me fixing myself, and you've got a Christian new year, which is about God coming to do it for us. Um, because relationships matter. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that in the book of Exodus. Now, you may be surprised that we're still in the book of Exodus. We're coming to the end. We're in the last five chapters. And if there's anywhere that it's easy to forget that relationships matter, it's when you're reading things that were boring the first time for the second time. <laughs> Hannah's been reading through Exodus, and she talked to me the other day, and she said, the last couple days I've been reading, and it's all the same. I said, what do you mean? She said, well... It's them building the tabernacle, and it's all the same. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you get all the instructions for building the tabernacle, and she, can't, she couldn't like, quote that you know, in this chapter and that chapter. And then when they go build the tabernacle, it's all written again, right? It's all there one more time. Um, and Hannah's been super good, and su Hannah's my oldest daughter, if you don't know. She's been super good and super patient reading the book of Exodus. She really enjoyed the first half, same journey we all do when we're walking through Exodus, and then you get to the laws, and they're strange, and you have lots of questions, and then there's this building instructions, and it's weird, but you pull through, um, and she's been great. This is the first time that she's come to me and said, like, what's going on, 
in terms, not in, she's had questions, but in terms of like, what, why am I reading this, right? Like prior it was, I don't understand. Now it's why, what's going on, right? Laws reiterated, instructions rewritten, words resaid. Um, even some of the commentaries on Exodus take chapters 35 to, 30 to 40, most of them, and just pair them up with the earlier chapters. So they have to write less. So when you get to the instructions, they, they comment on the instructions and the, the following of the instructions in the same place. And then when you get to Exodus 32, they jump to the last verses of Exodus 40 and they just skip all the stuff in the middle because they already commented on all that. Right? So even the academics and scholars are looking at this and going, okay, we're ready to be at the end of the book now. Um, but it's there for a reason. And I've talked about this before when we were looking at the laws and we were looking at the instructions and I said, you know, like the people who are writing these books are writing in an age when writing is expensive and difficult and time consuming. They don't have a word count they're trying to meet. They're not like, oh, look, there's still three feet left in my scroll. What else are we going to write about? I know. Let's repeat everything we've already written, right? They don't have this problem. If they get to the end, they stop there, and that's where they cut off the scroll, and they don't waste any more paper and ink and time, both in the original and all the copying. So when you find something like this, and you start asking yourself, okay, what is going on here? Uh, you're actually asking the right question. We just mostly don't stick around long enough to figure out what the answer is, because there's a reason. They have a good reason to write this all again. So let's read the first part of it, Exodus 35, verses 1 to 29, and then let's talk about that. And where we're going to land is where we've started. Relationships matter. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of the Word. This is how we honor the Word of the Lord. Um, it's the best thing that we hear today for me. Exodus 35, starting in verse 1. Now, you should know, this is a different translation to highlight a few things. So if you've got your own in front of you, you'll notice some differences, and that's okay. Um, it just makes literal a few of the words that we normally translate in more modern English. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things that Yahweh has commanded to be done. Six days' work shall be done, but the seventh day shall be to you holy, a Sabbath of complete ceasing from work to Yahweh. Anyone working on it shall be put to death. You shall not light a fire in all your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what Yahweh has commanded. Take from among you a contribution for Yahweh. Everyone who is eager-hearted shall bring it, Yahweh's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, yarns of blue, purple, and crimson, and finely spun linen, goat hair, ram skin, dyed red, and fine leather, acacia wood, and oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the aromatic incense, onyx stones and other precious stones for mounting on the ephod and the breast pouch. All who are wise-hearted among you are to come in order to make all that Yahweh has commanded." So great. The dwelling place, its tent and its coverings, its clasps and its frames, its crossbars and its pillars and its bases, the chest and its poles, the atonement lid and the veil of the screen, the table and its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, and the lampstand for light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for light and the altar of incense and its poles and the anointing oil and the aromatic incense and the doorway screen at the doorway to the dwelling place. 
the altar of the whole burnt offering and the bronze grating for it, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin and its stand, the hangings of the enclosure, its pillars and its bases, and the screen of the entrance to the enclosure, the pegs of the dwelling place and the pegs of the enclosure and their ropes and the woven garments to serve in the holy place, the garments of the holy place for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to serve as priests. Then the whole Israelite community left Moses' presence, and everyone whose heart moved him and whose spirit prompted him came and brought a contribution for Yahweh for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the garments of the holy place. They came, men and women, all who were generous-hearted, and brought brooches, earrings, rings, and bracelets, all items of gold. Everyone presented a contribution of gold to Yahweh. Everyone who possessed yarns of blue, purple, and crimson, and finely spun linen and goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and fine leather brought them. Everyone presenting a contribution of silver and bronze brought a contribution for Yahweh. And everyone who possessed acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. Every wise-hearted woman spun with her hands, and they brought spun thread, blue, purple, or crimson, and fine linen. And all the women whose heart moved them with wisdom spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other stones to be mounted on the ephod and breast pouch. They also brought spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and the aromatic incense. Every man and woman whose heart prompted them to bring for all the work which Yahweh commanded through Moses, the Israelites brought voluntary offerings to Yahweh. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's pray together. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for doing that to Israel many thousands of years ago, leading them out of oppression. Thank you for doing the same for us in Jesus. Open your word this morning to us and draw us to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we just read the first, almost the first chapter of these last six, and you can see the repetition already. Right? The materials are listed twice. Once what you're supposed to bring, once what they actually bring. Um, and the whole section that follows is about that twice. It's about this happening for the second time. And I always wish, there's a part of me that always wishes, that I could just read the whole section, which is why we've been suggesting that you read it ahead of time before you come here on Sunday. To give you an overview, a few things happen after this. Um, Moses declares to the people, he announces that God has called out two men specifically, Bezalel and Oholiab, by name, to lead the work of building. He's gifted these men with his spirit, both to have the knowledge and skill to do all of the crafting, but also to have the knowledge and skill and wisdom to teach others to do the same, because there's too much work for just two guys to do it. And so they're the team leaders, um, they do the most intricate work, but they also lead others in doing the same. And their first job is to tell Moses that they have to stop bringing stuff <laughs> because the people have responded and they can use and there's still stuff coming in. And they have to say, hold on, we have enough, tell them to stop. And Moses does. He goes before the people, he sends word, no man or woman is to make any more offering for the sanctuary. What what they had given was already more than enough. And then, it, then starting in chapter 36, um, we get four chapters of the people following God's instructions. And this is noteworthy. don't know if you recall last week. We looked at chapters 32 to 34. 
And in chapter 32 to 34, Israel commits what becomes known as the great sin. They, wor- they cast and worship a golden calf. They completely break the covenant relationship that they had just barely entered, right? And we talked about a number of different ways of looking at that and what that means last week. Um, and, and the threat that hangs over them in the midst of their sin is that it's all over. The journey they've been walking of being rescued from Egypt, of knowing and walking with the Lord Yahweh, um, God says to Moses, he says, basically, I'm done. Leave me alone in my anger. I'm going to destroy these people, and I'm going to start over. And Moses intercedes, and he says, no. God says, okay, I won't destroy them, but I can't go with you, because if I go with you, I might kill you, because you guys are stiff-necked and evil. Um, And Moses again intercedes. He says, if you don't go with us, there's no point. You might as well just kill me now. Um, We need you, God. And God says, okay, I will go with you. Um, I will continue to be with you. And what we talked about was how this was a brokenness in the relationship, but how in the grace of God, he stays with them, he forgives them, and he gives them another opportunity. But the damage to the relationship is real. There's a real broken trust between God and his people. Because the first thing the people did when they had any doubt was to break the first commandments and to turn away and worship idols. And so as we read on in chapters 35 to 40, what we see happening is we see them start to reverse this trend, to to come back from the place they'd gone to. And it begins implicitly. You read chapter 36, and you notice that it all sounds very familiar. And maybe you turn back like Hannah did, and you look at the chapters before, and you're like, hey, wait a second, I have read this before. Because they're just doing what they were told to do. And then you get to chapter 39, and it becomes explicit. The author of Exodus in chapter 39 doesn't just show you them doing exactly what God had commanded them to do. He shows you it and then says, they did it all as the Lord commanded. And it becomes a refrain. I I should have counted how many times he says that in chapter 39. I didn't. It's lots. They did it just as the Lord commanded. Um, you know, they, they fastened this and they made this as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded. It's over and over again. And you get to the end of chapter 39 and you have this summary. According to all that Yahweh had commanded Moses, so the Israelites did all the service. Moses saw all the work that they had done. It was as Yahweh had commanded and Moses blessed them. Um, and so you, you get this, it's this crescendo of obedience. And the not good of the golden calf, right, the very not good, the great sin, has become the good of the tabernacle. And you might miss that, but it's here. At the end of creation in Genesis, God looks at all that he has done, and he sees that it is very good, and he blesses it. And at the end of all of the building of the tabernacle, Moses looks at it, and he sees that it was done obediently, and he blesses it. Because what's good is for things to be done in the way of the Lord. It's a very clear equation. And to get from the not good of the golden calf to the good of the tabernacle and all that represents, what we are being shown in Exodus chapters 35 to 39 is the process of reconciliation. It's the rebuilding of trust 
Israel had exchanged, in the words of the psalmist, the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. And they broke their relationship. And things now have to be restored. And what does that look like? Well, first, God has to give Israel space. There can be no restoration if the offended party has closed the door and will not let the other person in. The reconciliation, this is one of the weird things about forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, The person who has caused the offense can do a lot of things to help open that door, but only the offended party can open the door and give space for reconciliation. And that first step is forgiveness. So he gives them this gracious opportunity. But Israel has to step into it, right? The doors are open, but while only the offended party can open the doors, only the offender can now step into that space. And there's a couple things that have to happen. There has to be, a, there has, they have to face the severity of their sin. There's no reconciliation without recognition and repentance of sin. There's, there's no room for that. There can't be. You can't restore trust if the offender will not even recognize how they have broken trust in the first place, right? So we see that, and we saw that in chapters 33 to 34. They suffer for and mourn over the sin that they have committed. And so now that they've met in this space of forgiveness, God restates the terms of the covenant. Specifically, the people are reminded repeatedly of the Sabbath, Because this is the sign of the covenant. This is what God has labeled it. It's not the fullness of the covenant. It's not everything that's expected or asked, but it's the sign of the covenant. And so it gets restated several times. It's this key obligation. And and this too is normal, right? Imagine an actual relationship with someone who's hurt you, and you forgive them, and they repent, and now you clarify what you expect for the future. What does this relationship need to look like from here on out? And then you begin to walk that reconciliation. But when you walk the reconciliation, you start with small things. In a relationship where trust has already been built up, the small things don't matter a lot. They're easy to, you know, somebody makes a small mistake and you just, you overlook it. You forgive them immediately. The trust that you already have in place covers that over, right? Um, So, you know, if I have stolen from somebody, before I had stolen from them, they're happy to leave me alone with their things. I ask them to borrow money. They're happy to lend me money, right? There's trust. But after the theft has occurred, there's no longer that trust. And, and it's up to me, as the person who has caused the offense and broken the trust, to show again that I am trustworthy. And it is up to the offended party to gradually, as they are comfortable, extend opportunities of trust to let me step into that, to see if I'll fill that up. That's why we have four chapters, actually, because chapter 40 is a little different, of Israel following the instructions. The instructions of how to build the tabernacle were never the most important part of the covenant. The most important parts of the covenant were given at the beginning, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments and what goes on around them. And then the things that follow are the various ways that they can live among the nations to show them the glory and goodness of God. And then you get to the tabernacle, which is really a gift, because it's how God is going to dwell with his people, right? And so it's important, 
but it's built on this other foundation. But now, now that the relationship has been completely broken, these little things matter a lot more. And so we're seeing Israel step into that place. We see them obey. And we don't just see an obedience that's built on the letter of the law. This is why I wanted to read this slightly strange translation to you of Exodus chapter 35, because you may have caught the multiple times that the heart was spoken of, the eager-hearted, the generous-hearted, the wise-hearted, those whose hearts prompted them. There's all this heart language. And this is quite common in Hebrew. There's no word in Hebrew for mind. And most of the ways that Hebrew talks about people is an idiom around the heart. So there's no word for happiness in Hebrew either. Someone who's happy is someone who is good of heart, right? That's how they talk about it. Um, Because that's the focus. This is what matters. And this is what God is looking for in relationship with us. He's not primarily looking at the letter of the law. Yes, the instructions that God gives us, they matter, right? That God gives us, they're important. But God wants to get to the heart. And this is very clear all throughout Scripture, but it's even clear here when you might expect it to be about some kind of list or legalism or follow all the instructions exactly. It isn't. From the very beginning when Moses says, take an offering, everyone who's willing Everyone whose hearts prompt them, come give these things. It's not, he doesn't say like, okay, from every family we're levying this tax. Um, Apparently, he didn't even give them exact amounts of what they needed because when they had had enough, the people are still coming, right? They're still giving because he's just said, this is the work we have to do. This is the next step in our relationship. This is why this is going on. So we're taking this offering, come you who are willing and give. And the people respond. It's an amazing moment in the story because they're going to get it wrong lots more, right? If you were going to keep reading the story of Israel, you're going to read the incident of the golden calf over and over again. Not literally. They don't do the same thing again, but they do the same mistakes in new ways. They find new ways of worshiping idols and turning away from God and other gods to turn to. And you get this repeated they mess up, and the grace of God comes, and there's the opportunity for reconciliation. And this is, this is the journey that we all walk, not just the nation of Israel. We all fall into those same mistakes and commit those same sins and turn away from those same things. And that's why we can praise the Lord that He is a God of grace who gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be reconciled. And that's what the whole Advent season is about, right? That ultimately, Jesus came the Son of God himself, to open that door and create that space for reconciliation and to call us to do the same. This is where it's really cool. You look at the process of reconciliation that's going on here, and at no point are the people walking alone. So don't imagine a process where God opens the door And then he waits for you to step in. And when you step in, he says, okay, this is what I expect from you. And then he waits for you to do it. And he's standing there like, okay, are you going to do this or not? That's not the picture we're given, right? God opens the door for them. um, And then he leads them in through the repentance in the morning. And then he has provided the means of reconciliation. So he's the one who has given them all of the material wealth which they now give back. It all came from the Lord through that miracle as they left Egypt when somehow 
despite the destruction that God rained down on the people of Egypt, their hearts were turned with favor to the Israelites and they gave them all these gifts as they left. It's an incredible story. And then God has given them the plans for the tabernacle, right? They didn't just come up with this. They didn't have to figure out how can we walk with God again. God has told them how to do that. And then when it comes to building the tabernacle, God is the one who steps alongside of Aholiab and Bezalel and fills them with his spirit and gifts them to do this work. Right? There's no point on this journey where God steps out of the process and leaves the people of Israel alone to just figure it out and deal with it. At every step of the way, he is empowering them and he is equipping them and he is leading them and he is resourcing them and he is walking with them, right? Because that's how much he loves us. He's, it, even when he's offended, even when he's been deeply hurt by these things, that's still his attitude towards these people. And it's a great picture. It's a great picture. One of the things that's really cool in here is Bezalel um, is set in opposition to Pharaoh. So I don't know if you remember way back when we started this series. Pharaoh, we read, sought to deal wisely or shrewdly with the Israelites, which was a way of saying he sought to use his wisdom and his skill to destroy and oppress the nation of Israel, right? And, and you see him, like he's quite wise in the ways of politics, and he's able to turn the leaders in such that they can no longer follow Moses. And he's successful. We read about how the people could not hear the message of hope that God had sent through Moses, and yet the Lord acts anyway. But Pharaoh knew what he was doing. He acts in his wisdom to destroy the people of God and keep them from meeting Yahweh. Because from the very beginning, God is calling the nation of Israel out so they can worship and walk with him and know him. And, Israel, and Pharaoh says, no, I'm going to use my wisdom to destroy these people and keep them from their God. And Bezalel steps in, and he gets to use his wisdom to build up the house of God that all of the people may encounter him. He's doing the exact opposite. He's bringing life where Pharaoh brought death, and he's bringing reconciliation where Pharaoh brought division. And the picture that we're given, it's an incredible picture that we're given. It's an imperfect, or not imperfect, um, incomplete. It's an incomplete picture of what is to come. Because it's just two people filled with the Spirit and gifted for the ministry of reconciliation. And when you get to the end of the story, the glory of God fills the tabernacle, but nobody can go in yet. He's there, but they can't quite be with him. We're jumping ahead, and we're going to talk about this in the weeks to come. These things are fulfilled and brought to completion in Jesus Christ. Because through him, all of God's people receive the Spirit and are equipped in the same ways as Bezalel and Aholiab. No, we are not all gifted by the Spirit to work gold and acacia wood and all these kinds of things. There are some people whose gifts from God are around craftsmanship. But we are all gifted for the purpose of bringing reconciliation between God and, and his people for the purpose of being life givers and for the purpose of raising up others to do the same. Israel, in this reconciliation process, is their hearts are turned and they're given the opportunity to find life, real life, 
in the only place that real life is found, which is when we can give and when we can serve. We, we look for life in so many other places. And Israel has looked for life in so many other places. And it's so easy. They're coming out of slavery. It would be so easy as they came out of slavery to be like, oh, we've got all this stuff. We finally got life. We've got all this gold and we've got all these jewels and we're getting bread from heaven every day and we're going to hoard it all because this is life. And we've talked about this too, that God is teaching them along the way that no, it isn't. You hoard that manna and it rots because that's what happens to a hoarded blessing because we are blessed in order to give others and that's where we find real life. And this too is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now we step back into this story. The invitation to Israel as they build this tabernacle is to be all in. I talked about how God never leaves them at any step of the way. Sometimes we get caught up in trying to separate God's part from our part. Like, we start asking questions, well, how much do I have to do, right? What's, what's necessary for my part? How do I make sure that I'm fulfilling my job in reconciliation, but anytime you're in a relationship and you start trying to divvy it up like that, you know, we want to make sure we're 50-50, you're in trouble. I remember our, our pastor who gave Christine and I premarital counseling telling us that you don't go 50-50 in a relationship. You go 100-100. You both go all in. And if you're not both all in, you're in trouble. It's the same thing with God. You can't pull this apart. God's all in. And he's asking his people to be all in with him. Now, obviously, when God goes all in and we go all in, you know which side of that's going to weigh heavier. <laughs> Who's got more to give? But that's not the point. And God doesn't count it like that. God doesn't look at what he's given and say, ha, 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 I've given so much more than you, you piddly little. Right? Like, he doesn't do that. He longs for all of us. And the people here respond. And Exodus ends on this note of hope deferred. Will they keep going all in or not? It also ends in the note of invitation. In the process of their redemption from slavery, the journey so far, Israel has received God's unmerited compassion and grace over and over and over again, grace upon grace. They've witnessed God's majestic and awesome power, His presence on the mountain, his presence in the tabernacle, they have beheld his glory. And they have entered into a life-transforming personal relationship wherein God is beginning to dwell with his people. And in all of these things, Exodus heralds the greater Exodus to come in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be looking at exactly those three themes in the weeks to come. God dwelling among us. We have beheld his glory and grace upon grace, because these are Advent themes. He is our hope. And so what's the note of invitation? It's the same one that's given to Israel. Wherever you are this morning, and whatever you've done, we can literally say that. You look at what Israel has done. It didn't stop God from opening the door for reconciliation, to walk with him again. The invitation today is one of great hope. Will we individually, and as a community, go all in with God. A hundred, a hundred. Not 50-50, not worried about what my part is and how much and what's the minimum, but all in. 
in obedience and submission to his word wherever he will lead. I don't, wanna, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask this morning, if your answer to that question is yes, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, right, because we keep saying yes to God, please stand with me. And I don't want this to be a pressure move. If you're not there, that is allowed and that's okay. And none of us are looking at you in judgment. You be honest with the Lord. I'm asking you to stand with me because I want to pray over us as we say that yes. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you are so, so good that you do give us that opportunity to go all in with you and to enter into an ongoing process of reconciliation, Lord. That we don't get to the point where we're done um, because we're not perfect and we don't get to the point where we stop sinning. But we also know that you never get to the point where you're done because you love us too much. And so as we stand to say yes to you, whether the first time or the thousands, Lord God, may we receive your blessing May we be filled with your spirit and strengthened for your work to be people where life flows out of us like living water and where we have the opportunities to build places, spiritual, literal, relational, where others can meet with you and where we can be part of the process of reconciliation between us and you, but others and you as well. Lead us in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And we, like the people of Israel, get to remind ourselves today of the sign of the covenant. In the middle of the process of reconciliation, at least three times, again, I should have counted, I didn't, God says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. This is what the Lord has commanded, right? It's the sign of the covenant. And we too have received a sign of our covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. We call it the Lord's Supper or communion. And we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, right? So it's the same idea as in the Exodus. Right in the middle of this great sin, God speaks to them grace and truth and compassion and opportunity. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he took the cup in the same way. And he said, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood. And this too is given for you. And when you partake of these things, you do so in remembrance. Reminding ourselves of the covenant we are a part of with the Lord God and Jesus Christ. And so we get to celebrate this today. And remember exactly those things. Communion for a lot of people is a time where you, you take a minute before you come up and you come before the Lord in prayer to confess whatever you need to confess, to give thanks for the many things you need to give thanks for, um, and to, to be reconciled anew, to draw close to Him again.